one of those or get on your phone and we're going to turn to John chapter 21 in the New Testament. I'll give you a chance to catch up there. <clears throat> and we're going to start in verse 1. And John says this, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, we'll go out with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning of burning coals where the where there let's try that again when they landed they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread jesus said to them bring some of the fish you have caught so simon peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore it was full of large fish 153 but even with so many the net was not not torn Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I'm glad Jesus likes to eat breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Father, thank you for these words. Give us ears to hear, minds that are attuned to what you want to say to us today. And may you anoint Pastor Lenny Lucetti to deliver your message that we need to hear. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, let's welcome Dr. Lenny Lucchetti. Man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for that. Thanks for that kind introduction, Eric. Uh, all you really need to know about me is I am a sinner saved by grace. That's who I am. In the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 4, because of his great love for me, God, who is rich in mercy, made me alive with Christ when I was dead in my sin. It is by grace I have been saved. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's my story. Maybe that's your story. I don't know. But, oh man, I am bummed. I'm as bummed as you are that Pastor Tamar is not preaching today. Because I came, I was planning to come to hear her preach. Uh, she's one of my favorite preachers. But I know you know that you've got a, a gem of a pastor and a pastoral couple in Tamar and Eric. And uh, they, they are they are the real deal. Maybe, maybe you've heard it said, uh, do not uh, live in the past, but, but learn from the past. Do not live in the past, but learn from the past. Why? Because sometimes the past can be a prison that prevents present progress or present peace or present purpose. I think the Apostle Peter was stuck in a prison of his past. I think the Apostle Peter had so many past regrets, so much water under the bridge, so much failure that it actually almost kept him from moving forward in the present. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it doesn't really paint a favorable picture of the Apostle Peter. I mean, the guy is messing up over and over and over again. He really is the patron saint of failures, like me. Uh, for example, uh, there's this time in the Gospels where Jesus says that his mission is to suffer and die for the world. And, you know, the apostles are all feeling awkward. They didn't know what to say. But Peter's always the one who does speak up in, in the awkward moment. Uh, someone said that we'll recognize Peter when we get to heaven by the guy with the foot-shaped mouth because he's always sticking his foot in it. <laughs> and he says to Jesus, you're not going to die. Never going to happen. I'm not going to let you die. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me. Satan. And then there's a time where, where uh, Jesus comes to the apostles when they're in a boat on the sea. And Jesus, Peter says, if it, Lord, if it's you commanding me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, okay, come. And Peter gets out and begins to walk on water when he keeps his eyes on Jesus. But then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and sees the wind and the wave. And he begins to sink in faithlessness. Another regret. In John's Gospel, which is where the text came from today, John 21, um, you see this sort of escalation of regrets, failures for Peter. One of them is in John 13. Jesus, at the Last Supper, is going to wash the apostles' feet. Everybody's feeling really awkward. It's an awkward moment. I mean, Jesus is going to wash people's feet. Come on. He's the Messiah, the Christ. But no one says a word, except Peter. <laughs> And then when Jesus gets to Peter to wash Peter's feet, he says, nope, not going to happen. You're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Again, Peter messes up. He doesn't know what to say, so he says something that's stupid. And then we get another failure, another regret that's even worse. In John chapter 18, after the Last Supper, uh, soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, again, didn't know what to do exactly, but he did something because he always does something. 
And he takes a sword out and he cuts off a soldier's ear. It's violent. And Jesus rebukes Peter. Put away your sword, he says. Don't you know that I'm supposed to drink the cup the Father has given me to drink? I came not to take lives, but to give my life. You still don't get it. Again, Peter drops the ball. Another regret, another failure. But it's about to get worse. Because the Peter who said to Jesus, even if every one of the apostles falls away, I won't. Even if I have to die with you, Peter said to Jesus, I will never deny you. And you know the story. Peter denies that he knows Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And to a servant girl, one of those times. What a coward. Weren't you one of his followers? No, no, I don't even know the man. I don't know Jesus. It doesn't get much worse than that. And I think that Peter believes that his best days in Christ or in mission for Christ are, are behind him, not before him. That there's so much failure under the bridge of his life that he could never recover. And I think Peter's ready to settle for mediocrity. And the reason why I say that is because in verse 3 of John 21, after Jesus died and rose again, uh, Peter says in verse 3, I'm going out to fish. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal. And I love fishing as much as anybody. I'm a fly fisherman. If you, if you give me a, a chance to go and stand in a stream casting dry flies to rising trout, man, I will, I will, I will go out fish every day. If any of you fly fish in no good spots, call me. I'll go with you. I promise. <laughs> um, but the reason why I say it's a problem is because Peter's going back out to fish for fish. Now you remember the call from Jesus to Peter was to a new mission. Peter was a owner of a fishing business. He had nets and boats. He caught fish to sell them. That was his gig. But Jesus called Peter to leave fishing for fish and join the mission of fishing for people. Leave the fishing and be on mission with me. And the fact that Peter is going back to fishing for fish when he was called to the mission of fishing for people, I think it's, I think Peter feels like he has failed Jesus so miserably, so regretfully, that Peter believes he's not cut out for the mission anymore, that he's somehow disqualified himself because of his failures from the mission of fishing for people. And I want you to get, too, that they were out all night and caught nothing. For a guy with a fishing business, Peter's a really bad fisherman because they never seem to catch (laughs) anything. Maybe, Maybe you can relate to Peter. Maybe, truth be told, if I could see the bubble of thought over your head. Maybe you feel like your best days in Christ are behind you, not before you. That maybe you failed so often, so miserably, you have so many regrets that you're ready to settle for a life of discipleship mediocrity. God still loves you and you still love God, but you're never going to experience a vital, vivacious, sort of thriving, flourishing Christian life because you've messed up. You said something that destroyed a person's reputation. 
and you regret that. You were too hard on your kids, and you regret that. You were too soft on your kids, and you regret that. You gave up on a relationship when you should have endured, and you regret that. You quit a job when you should have stuck with it, and you regret that. You bought a house that was more than you could afford, and you regret that. You made a bad financial investment, and you regret that. Your loved one died before you had a chance to share your faith in Jesus Christ with that person, and you regret that. Regret, regret. Maybe you took that drink or that hit or looked at that website and you got stuck in an addiction and you regret that. Maybe you, like Peter, feel like your best days are behind you, not before you. And you wonder, can someone like you, like Peter, be born again? Again. Well, the the real question is not just, you know, what does Peter regret or what do you regret? But the real question this morning that I want us to wrestle with and see the answer to, the beautiful answer to, is how does Jesus respond to Peter's past regrets? With a word. Grace. Chapter 21, verses 15 and following. I want to read it again. I know we already read it. Pastor Eric read it. But I want to read it again because it's just so beautiful what Jesus is doing here. Because he knows that Peter's just overwhelmed with his failure and his regrets. And Peter's not going to be able to move forward unless something hits him like grace. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I don't know what the more than these is that Jesus is talking about. It could be, do you love me more than these other apostles? It could mean, uh, Peter, do you, do you love me more than the, the fishing nets and the boats? I, I don't know, but, but something is robbing Peter of full devotion, it seems like, to Jesus. And I think it's past regrets. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see what Jesus is doing here? Peter denied knowing Jesus three times, a negative three. And here, Jesus has given Peter a chance to reaffirm his love for Jesus, and he's also reaffirming the call. A negative three denials plus a positive three reaffirmations of the call equals, for you mathematicians, zero. Negative three plus positive three equals zero. Fresh start. Clean slate. New beginning. Mulligan. (laughs) Any golfers in the house? Any good golfers in the house? Keep your hands up. (laughs) Liars. (laughs) Nobody raised their hand, actually. I used to play with, um, when I first started playing golf, I was in my 20s. I was a young pastor. I was a young pastor once. And um, a guy in the church named Richard uh, in his 70s, a very good golfer, would, would get me to go play a couple times in the summer. And, uh, again, I was a bad golfer, and as I get older, I get worse in golf. I don't know, I don't know why that is, but it, it, it's the case. But, um, I would hit the ball pretty hard, you know, like 250 yards. The problem is, 
it would go 100 yards this way and then 150 yards that way. <laughs> Slice. And, and invariably, every hole I would hit a bad shot off the tee. It's just the way I played. And, and Richard uh, would just kind of roll a ball over to me and say, hit another one. Take a, take a mulligan. Take a do-over. Now, you're supposed to get one mulligan per nine holes or maybe per 18 around. He was giving me unlimited mulligans. Jesus has unlimited mulligans to give you. If you have sliced the ball of your life into the woods, he'll roll you another one and say, hit another. You can't earn it. You won't deserve it. It's called grace. And if you have gotten yourself stuck in a rut, a muddy rut, the last thing to do is keep pressing the gas. If you got yourself stuck because of your past regrets, there's a, there's a good chance you're not going to be the one to get yourself out of the rut. You need a power outside of you to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You need a tow truck. You need a tow truck of grace. And the good news is that God in Christ offers us a tow truck of grace, a mulligan, a fresh start, a clean slate, a new beginning. But what will Peter do? What will he do? Will he he kind of just hold on to his past regrets and just wallow in mediocrity? Assuming that his best days are behind him, not before him? Or, or will Peter be able to grab hold of grace? Because let me just say this. I've learned from my own walk with Christ. You cannot hold on to past regrets and experience God's present grace. Because you won't see it. Peter wasn't a catch and release fisherman. He, he cooked or sold what he caught. But he needed to be a release and catch disciple. He had to learn how to release his past regrets to catch God's grace. Because you can't hold both in your hands. It's like imagine being at a Tiger game. I don't know who would go to a Tiger game, but imagine being at a Tiger game. They're not as bad as the Pistons. Um, so you're at, so you, let's say you lived back in the 1920s and none of you are that old. Um, and Ty Cobb was playing, okay? And you're, you're at the game, you have a, you have a cheap, uh, hot dog and a, and a beverage, okay? In your hands. And Ty Cobb's up the bat, and he hits a foul ball, and it's coming your way. And you know that that ball and time is gonna be worth something. <laughs> and you have a choice. You can let go of the cheap hot dog and beverage, and grab that incredible foul ball from Ty Cobb, that will be worth a fortune. Or you can hold on to the cheap hot dog and beverage and miss out on that opportunity. I want that image to stick in your head because I want you to realize you cannot hold both. You've got to release your past regrets to catch God's present grace. And if you do, you'll never look back and you will not be sorry. Well, what did, what did Peter do? Whatever, whatever came of Peter... I'll tell you what came of Peter. He released his past regrets and grabbed grace. The same Peter who denied that he knew Jesus three times in the Gospels, in the next book, the book of Acts, 
after Jesus rose and ascended into heaven, um, this same Peter who was afraid, who was cowardly afraid to admit his friendship with Jesus, is standing before thousands of Jewish men. And he preaches what we know to be the first Christian sermon in history. And he says these words. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified, he is Lord and Christ. And thousands of Jewish men convert to Jesus. This same Peter must have grabbed hold of grace because there are two books in the Bible named after him. First and second, Peter. And if Peter didn't grab hold of grace, we might not have the gospel of Mark as we have it. Because And Mark is the first gospel in the Bible. Mark and Peter met up in the city of Rome where Peter became Mark's mentor. And all of Mark's gospel material came from his mentor, Peter. So if if Peter held on to his regrets and never grabbed grace, thousands upon thousands of Jewish men of the first century and women would not have converted to Christ. We would not have first and second Peter. We would not probably have Mark's gospel, the first gospel upon which Luke and Matthew are based. And we would not have this incredible, inspirational story about a guy who messed up miserably and got a redemptive mulligan of grace through Jesus. I um, I have a friend who is right now uh, wrestling with trying to release his past regrets and and grab God's grace. Uh, my friend, uh, when when he was um, a teenager, he was a high school dropout alcoholic. I mean, he was getting drunk two, three nights a week, uh, got stabbed, almost died, woke him up. Uh, he ended up uh, going to a Christian rehab, and there something happened to him. Jesus happened to him. And my friend discovered that everything he was seeking in alcohol, which could never be found there, was found in Jesus Christ. And when and when you meet Jesus, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you discover that alcohol or, or, or drugs or sex or food or work is a poor substitute for God. Expecting alcohol or anything to do for you what only Jesus can is like expecting a flip phone to do what a smartphone can. It, it, it can't happen. And so my friend just came alive with Christ. And for the most part, was free from alcohol. God used him as a pastor, gave him opportunities to speak all over the country, all over the world, to invest in pastors. Things were going great. And then at midlife, when he had some midlife angst and depression, he, he thought he could go return to alcohol and drink like normal people do. But he forgot he was an alcoholic. <laughs> And he managed it for a little while, drinking two or three times a year out on fishing trips out west with his buddy from college. And then some trauma hit, and my friend began to drink two or three times a month. Now, this happened while he was pastoring a thriving congregation in Michigan where God was at work. Well, long story short, in this past summer, he got arrested, my friend for drunk driving. 
And he's got a bunch of cops in his congregation. So quickly, the whole congregation knew, the whole community knew. I mean, his his shame, his regret was on public display for everybody. And, and his heart was broken because he caused so much disappointment to his wife, his kids, his congregation, the community. He struggled with significant shame and guilt, debilitating. Didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. He thought he was done. He was ready to give up the mission and return to fishing. Thought he would never preach or pastor again because he had messed up so badly. And then it happened. God just kept sending people to my friend, mediating his grace through people. People who would say to him, you know, I think your best days in ministry in Christ are are before you, not behind you. God is going to write a story for his glory out of the mess of your life. He's going to turn your mess into a message. And my friend told me this. He said, you know, when people said that, I just kind of rolled my eyes in my head. Like, yeah, right. But then people kept saying it. It was almost like God was sending people to my friend to say what Jesus said to Peter. I want you. I want you. I want you. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. I still want you. And my friend was starting to believe it. And then over the last five weeks, my friend got an invitation to preach in four different churches out of the blue. Again, God saying through people to my friend, I still want you. And I know this story is truer than true because the friend I'm talking about happens to be me. And the reason why I'm sharing my story and Peter's story is because I want you to hear the gracious words of Jesus whispered in your ear. I want you. I want you. I want you. No matter what you've done, no matter how you failed, I've still got a plan for you to give you a future and a hope. Let me rewrite the story. Let me turn your mess into a message. Get past your past and experience my grace in the present and you will never look back. But you've got, to, you've got to put yourself under the showerhead of God's grace to experience it. Imagine God's grace is a showerhead. You, you, you can't step over here holding on to your past regrets and expect to get wet with God's grace. You've got to put yourself under the showerhead of his grace to experience it and let it wash over you and release you from the past. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing to get past my past and to live in God's present grace. Every morning, every morning, no matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, I grab a cup of coffee first, I'll confess that, and then I go into a, I go into a dark room and I just sit with God for no less than 30 minutes and I pray and I sing. And I haven't sung to God alone, worshiped God alone in a really long time. And I'm singing songs I haven't sung in 20 years, man, they're coming back to me. And I'm experiencing intimacy with Christ that that erases my sin and shame, that makes life worth living. So showerhead of grace could be just spending time in prayer. It could be uh, reading scripture. I'm reading a psalm every morning and a chapter of a New Testament book. Um, one of the things that I've discovered is big for me. If I'm going to stay under the showerhead of God's grace and not go back to my past, but live in the present, I've got to spend time with people, God-rich friends. I cannot isolate when I'm struggling like I did for so many years. Because I'm a pastor. Who do I talk to about my struggle? Who's going to understand? That's baloney. What I've discovered, 
the hard way is that people can handle my junk. That people can know me fully and still love me completely. And I've neglected that gift from myself. Don't make the same mistake I did. Talk to God, rich people. I don't know what it will be for you. But I do know that if you're going to get past your past, you've got to, you've got to stand under the shower head of God's grace. Will you? I want to end. I want to pray for you. But I want to end with the words of the Apostle Peter. Let's, let's give the guy the last word. First Peter chapter 5. Listen to what Peter wrote. And the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for the mulligans you roll our way. We don't deserve it, but for some reason, some odd reason, some God reason, you love us because you made us and you know us. All the good, the bad, the ugly, all the, all the warts, all the wrinkles, you, you see it all and somehow, some way, you still love us. I don't get it, but I want it and I love it. God, I pray that any of my brothers and sisters in this room who right now are stuck in a prison of past regret, whether that past regret is recent or distant, I pray that today would be the day your grace, your grace sets them free. For the one who Jesus the Son sets free is free indeed. In the name of Christ, the ultimate mulligan giver, we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. We're going to do baptism here. And uh, baptism is one of the ways we get to say to Jesus what Peter got to say. I love you. I love you. I love you.